Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 15th of July 2018. I hope you're all doing okay and surviving. This century of the Great Transition, as it's called, where literally the whole system is turned into a different direction and it's done so slickly that most folk don't even really notice. They kind of glide into it. It kind of reminds you of the the railroad tracks, when they have those sidings, and they, they have the they used to have the levers at one time, they'd pull the levers, and you could see the, them changing between one set of tracks and the other. That's, that's pretty well how slickly it's done with us. Because most folk don't really think about it much. And it's true, it's true, most folk really don't question things in any depth at all. In a socialised... And socialised, by the way, can mean a lot of things, but for, the, body's, the body's social, basically... In a socialized society, they're trained to believe and trust in those above them, without question. And they're told to, to just get things done, pay our bills and work and buy things and, and, and don't get sick because it costs money on society these days, etc. And be good, don't complain about things. Watch lots of television and pass your time that way. And that's what they do, unfortunately. It strikes me so evidently when I meet occasional people, not too many, I'm not out too much, but when I do have to go out and meet occasional people, they'll talk about things on television. I haven't got a clue what they're talking about. But I will see the terms used in the newspapers with the latest TV shows, whatever it happens to be, or reality shows, mainly reality shows, I think, that really get some today, that they're into them, these things, as though it's part of their everyday living. It doesn't occur to them that it's all to change their behavior, and even to have them emulate what they see, more effectively even than, especially with the young, more effectively than the old television. That was, and that was powerful enough, believe you me. So we're living through a massive, massive controlled change into the new system of not just globalism, but a completely new way of managing the public. Now, remember too, I've got thousands and thousands of talks up there over the years, and you can go into the website. I should always remember this because I, I tend to forget it. For years I forgot to mention it, <laughs> which is not good really. But you can buy the books and discs I have for sale at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com And you'll see that the books that are listed, some are also in Spanish and Portuguese And I also have lots and lots of talks on disc, like groups of talks It's quite the archive in fact, going back many, many years And you can buy them at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com website And you'll see the other sites that I have, my own sites, which are listed there too including Alan Watts Sentient, Sentinel.eu, which is um, uh, up and running again, too, after a lot of trouble. You'll see the books for sale and the discs for sale. Remember, too, that outside of what I have listed on my websites, I don't sell anything through any other website. You, you might have people who replay my shows and so on, but they don't sell anything using my name. So therefore, be very careful where you buy the books and discs Because they'll, they'll generally won't be mine at all <laughs> Unless they're from CuttingThroughMidrix.com Or Alan Watt sent in Sentinel.eu And the other sites listed at CuttingThroughMidrix.com So be very careful Remember too, you can donate as well Helps you take over As we go through the massive change And I don't know Well, a lot of people have actually noticed That so many of, of the old timers that were on the go and they're not so old, actually, really, but uh, have died off, just gone away, disappeared, and so on, as the big, big changes have happened, as, as they didn't get the cash, as they folded, and, and other ones, the big, the big ones which were authorized to become the main so-called alternate. And believe me, quite a story behind that. It was total warfare. It was ruthless, too, but it was designed with bigger powers behind them than the public will ever, ever know. <laughs> And they helped to put everybody else out of business, unfortunately. And it's rather apparent now, really, what they're fronting for. But anyway, that's another story. But there used to be a lot of more alternate um, radio stations out there, too. Actual physical radio stations. They've all been knocked off as well by design. So you're left really with the internet. And with the internet, as, as I've mentioned before, 
you've got such a variety of things to look at. But wherever you get actual, the few, the very few people who are really doing factual investigations into how the world is run and who give you the evidence for you to check yourself and see what you think of it. Uh, there's also, alongside them, all over the place, you get all these different, uh, the, the alien agendas and stuff like that, all put out by counterintelligence to, to make you all think it's all crazy. And yet, the evidence, as I've mentioned before, for, for real, how, how we're really managed is in a conspiratorial kind of way, is so evident, it's just incredible. It really is. You don't have to make up conspiracies when they're all around you. And you can go in, for instance, to the, the histories if you really want to go into misery, because history is pretty miserable for a lot of people. And some centuries perhaps worse than others, but for instance, I was looking just the other day there, an old disc I've got, and uh, it was put up by the BBC a long time ago on 19th century conditions of the working people in England at the time. You pretty well say it's the same in, in places like Scotland or Glasgow and Aberdeen and so on, where they had factories. And the factories, you'll have a hard time, by the way, finding out who even owned the factories. It's so well well hidden. The people who had the massive mansions that you'll see in old, old BBC dramas, for instance, where they use them for dramas, these massive mansions with 100 rooms, 200 rooms and and pillars everywhere, etc., and, and big, big gardens. These were the, the so-called owners of those who really ran the Industrial Revolution. They owned the factories. A lot of them were, were merchants before that, and bankers, and, and a lot of them actually got knighted for giving money to, to causes and for floating the British military across the, the, the empire. Again, for themselves, because they profit from... I mean, they go across the world not to help people understand English or to give them Bibles, just, but really they go across the world for empires to plunder the countries from, from their wealth and use their cheap labor force as well. Not that Britain had a, an expensive labor force, because you can, you can still look up yourself through the BBC even. You'll see the kind of money, the few shillings that everybody was earning in the... 19th century, up into the 20th century, working 16 hours a day sometimes, quite often actually, and children too, incredible. And one of the documentaries I was looking at was to do with Lancashire and Birmingham. One of the doctors was called Galton, I think, a doctor, Galton, a young guy, who did chronicle uh, his experiences going across the the different towns and the streets themselves, and he mapped them to do with space between houses, rows of houses, these end-to-end houses that were all reconnected to each other. They were just thrown up by the industrialists, actually. The Corn Laws before that had been introduced into Britain to get people into the cities to work the new factories the Industrial Revolution. It was Lord Rothschild that put it forth in the British Parliament to get uh, the Corn Laws introduced, which made it legal for, under free trade, you see, the usual thing, to dump foreign exports of, of uh, grain and so on uh, in, in England at cheaper prices. Put the farmers under and the workers under and they all moved towards the cities. It was all orchestrated. And of course it's what you might call a conspiracy. It's always been this way, for goodness sake. It's always been this way with money and those who want to get more of it. And they see the people, literally, they could even call you human capital. And they even hate to use the word human in, in that mix too. But anyway, in this particular documentary, they, they, they talk, they were talking about the cholera epidemic sweeping through England and Scotland and parts of Europe too. As it all went through this great transition for that century into industrial, the industrial era. And they had, they, and by the way, you've, you've maybe seen some of the documentaries of India. It's always been amazing to me to, to, to show you documentaries of other countries. So look at that, isn't it awful? The people are living in human sewage and there's no running water and there's no toilets. And Britain 
in the 1800s right through to the early 20s. It didn't have running water for the people either, for most of the people. That wasn't introduced till later in that century because of the incredible death rate of the peasant workers. <laughs> Not because they wanted to help the people, it's because they realised that we're running out of workers. That's the reason. And so they started to actually put in some kind of sanitation and give them running water and something called soap. Isn't that amazing, eh? And try to cut back their work days because the average labourer in England at that time didn't live any older than 17 years of age. 17 years. And don't forget that that's when Britain, or London, I'd say, really, that ran all the con men. They literally, the height of their empire at that time, they ruled the waves, they ruled countries across the planet. They had, uh, they were using the taxpayer and the taxpayers' funds and money and so on to put railroads across the world, including India, to get all the, the, the resources out to the countries and so on. So, yeah, it was wonderful to use the people. Why use your own money when you can use the people to take, take it off their wages, you see, and things like that. And get them, get them to fund it all, get them to fund your, your armies and your military and so on. And it's rather sad. It's terribly sad, really. So don't think that, that Britain or India was... Is, is this only about 100 years later, for goodness sake, we're talking about? And, and they're showing you documentaries of India in the same condition. 100 years ago, just over 100 years ago, a lot of the places in England were just the same. Think about it. Each generation forgets so quickly. Because it's a little bit better. And you don't want to think, well, you'll, you'll think it's almost been like that. No, it wasn't. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Not at all. And you've seen those long housing rows that they had in Britain and the little sheds out back, every one of them. And that was just a hole in the ground where that was your toilet. But even before they got that, before they got that, they, they were just forced into the, these, these cities to work the factories and uh, do their, their, their 12 to 16 hours a day until they died. And they were given pennies so they couldn't save up and get out of there. It was just it was a, it was a very rigid system. It was disgusting. It was a hellish system. And they don't like to talk about that. Those that rule today over you, at least, at least the ones they're put in front for you to see. <laughs> but they don't like to talk about that. It was so bad in, in the late 1800s, for instance, in, in Britain, that... When the Boer War started in the late 1800s, about 1899 or something, to 1902 or something like that, those who controlled the empire for, for, for England or Britain, or they called it England now, were running out of good troops, troops that could actually go and fight battles against other countries. I mean, they, they knew, for instance, that the Germans were better equipped and were healthier than, than the British peasants because... The, the people who worked amongst the Germans and, and ruled over them were a bit, a bit better to the peasantry, whereas the ones in England didn't give a darn. In fact, they didn't even relate to the people in England at all. For other reasons too, some of them. But anyway, you find that when they, they wanted to, to get the troops up to a, a, a healthy standard to even go and fight the Boers, out of every 9,000 that applied for service, because there was just so much, they always make sure there's enough unemployment for the people to join and become cannon fodder. Out of every 9,000 that applied to join the, the military, only 1,000 were physically fit enough, with low standards, remember, in those days, to pass. Only 1,000 were physically fit enough to go into service, active service. And that terrified them. And so they realised they'd have to go to a step backwards, because even in Henry VIII's time in the military, and they found this out from even the checking the records of the ships in his navy, for instance, that the statistics they kept on their sailors in Henry VIII's time prove that they were generally taller than that, because they, they came in young into, into the navy as cabin boys. They were fed beef, not pork, but beef, every day. And they were taller 
and fitter, had healthier bones and so on, but the better food than the general peasantry of England. So that is to take a step backward in the 19th century, late 19th century, to start beefing up the, the, the peasantry for the military, or they'd lose everything again. So it really was a, it was a, a, a terrifying thing for, for, for the rulers to realise they might lose all their, their ill-gotten gains across the planet if they couldn't get enough troops who were physically fit. And it's tragic. You know, it's, some of the best sources you'll get... Well, the best source you'll have on anything in your whole lifetime is yourself. Talk and listen and look, especially older folk. Listen to them. Listen to their stories. Get to know them and get them to talk. You'd be surprised at what you might get told, especially in the European countries. In Canada and the States, they had a bit better, a bit more freedom and so on, and space, etc., Although they're terrible at times too in the big cities in the States as well. But they didn't have the same starvation kind of levels as they did in, across Europe. People, and they even had, <laughs> in parish records for instance, in parts of Scotland and England, in the late 1900s, for the first time they actually mentioned the parish records, all the changes that were going on, but they actually mentioned that the people, the peasantry, the poor, were getting a chance to eat meat for the first time, because it was being sold to them for the first time around then. <laughs> Quite amazing when you, when, think, when you really think about it, isn't it? But I can remember even reading articles when I was young and small and I devoured information because I, I had a craving to know things. And I did go to the library from a very early age and so on. And even my bio has been nicked by somebody else who's awfully good at stuff. But I did. I, I studied, studied, studied. And I learned so much because it was available in the libraries back then. And they even had old, old newspapers, some of them going way back, but pals of them in the bigger libraries. And you couldn't take it out, of course, but you could sit there in the reference section and some old fella watching like a hawk and be able to cover them. So anyway, it was fascinating to see uh, really how it was uh, before you were born. But also, I knew from personal experience that a lot of people in post-World War II Britain, right up until about the 60s and 70s, were, were born into slums. They were supposedly to be knocked down at the end of World War One. some of them. Some of them were condemned at that period, and, and they kept them open because they didn't have the space for, for people to move into, for married couples and so on. So it wasn't healthy at all. And when you look again, look, look back at these massive palatial homes with the grounds and the gardens and Lord this and Lord that all over the place and... Then you look at the masses of people who are getting fleeced for their labour, working 12 to 16 hours a day, dying at 17, 18. A lot of them died in very young, before they were even eight. They had children as young as five in some of these factories. Five and six, just picking things out of, of something or whatever. They even used them to go into the loom areas to clean out the, the cotton in the cotton industry. A lot of them died because it literally the, the, the stuff got into their lungs and killed them eventually. But there was no health and safety hygiene back then either. So when it came, it only came because, as I say, the elites were getting a bit worried because they realised uh, they had other wars planned and for the future, for the 20th century, and they better start beefing up their troops a bit or get, so they didn't have all have rickets and bad bones and teeth and, and puny, skinny... Uh, under-fed guys who were also stunted and short, which there were, most of them. They've got in the records there for World War I, for instance, that the average person in World War I, at the end of the war, if they lived that long, had, had uh, when they joined about 16, 17 years of age, a lot more at 15, in fact, my granddad was. And they all sprouted about uh, up to five inches on average with a better food, actually getting protein. That was Great Britain for you. That's what it was. But I remember too, I knew a fella who, he yeah, was genuine. He, he had worked uh, he, uh, as in the burial details following the North African campaign with uh, 
the British uh, Eighth Army, and he also uh, buried lots of Americans eventually too. And he would always go into the same depression. He, he never got out of it. He never, the man was damaged for, for his, his whole life. And it was genuine. He was definitely there. And um, the details in the, the group that he belonged to were to take the, the tags of all the, the people who were left on the battlefields and record them all and then give them burials and so on. And you can imagine in the deserts, when you come up, come up you, you go up there to bury people who've been lying in the, in the sun for days, you know, and bloated and so on. But what got him, and he'd always say the same thing, he couldn't believe, he couldn't believe. It wasn't just an incredible waste, which of course it was, of human life, young, young people. But it was also the differences in the, the physical appearance of the British troops compared to American troops, for instance. He says the American troops were taller, well-built, beefier, young guys. Because he hadn't seen anything like that in his life in Britain. That Everybody was skinny. Everybody was skinny for World War II. And don't forget, they come through this Great Depression, which I think from, was from the 1800s, <laughs> starvation a lot of them, <laughs> into World War I. They had uh, rationing then. World War One, straight into Great Depression, and the money the country owed to really finish Britain, and from the Great Depression right into World War Two and rationing, which went on to be 1954-55, and even after the rationing, most of them still couldn't afford uh, meat very often. It was that bad. But anyway, so he grew up with with people who were stunted and undernourished, and and, and still dead, of course, uh, cannon fodder, and then he saw the American young guys too. He just couldn't get over the difference in their builds and uh, the physical stature and that how healthy they looked, even in death, to the British guys. And it, it's got to make you think, I hope it makes you think, about life in itself and the system you're really living in. And don't ever, ever, I hope, don't ever think that somehow... People have evolved. Those who, who rule over you have evolved into a caring attitude over it. It doesn't happen, folks. It doesn't happen. Those who rule are generally psychopathic. Uh, they can, they're taught uh, the genteel manners and so on of what to say and what not to say. They have their own schools for that. What to say in public, for instance, where the peasants are around. But... They really don't feel much for the people at all. A lot of them came, a lot of, there's different categories there. There's the merchant class, very, very powerful merchant classes, who inbred, again, with other powerful merchant classes. Because money marries money. And the same with the psychopaths who got their cash in, through land and conquering and killing off other tribal leaders around them until they became the kings and queens, etc. And the nobility, lots of nobility underneath them, they became they were the military class for protecting them for a long, long time. And then they, they also got into uh, eventually earning money through investments, big investments across the world with their empire. So they tend to inbreed with each other because money naturally does marry money. And you can read all the sociological books you want to do, but, but uh, they'll tell you the same things over and over, that, that occasionally, occasionally you'll get the male, occasionally he'll marry someone who isn't in the same class as, say, even financially. But it's, it's not that common in this day and age. Whereas with the females who are awfully wealthy, they seldom will ever do uh, marry beneath them in that kind of class, that, that upper type of class. But they've done studies on psychopathy, so many studies, and it was a shock to even academia and those who were doing the studies of the mind and society and psychiatry and psychology in its earlier days because they thought that only psychopaths, all psychopaths were just no, no, no good types of people who would smash windows and grab what they saw and run with it because they wanted it now and they couldn't tolerate frustration, so... That was the average psychopath until they realized 
when they did the studies, the same traits, and got good studies, you know, to detect them. And they found out that there were more of them actually up there in the ruling classes. And the CEOs, uh, corporate uh, leadership too, that's where they are. And and at least it's an equality thing because you get male ones and female ones. It's, it's, it's pretty good that way. It keeps up with equality and all that. So people who are terribly ambitious, who set up their workmates to fail or look bad so they can get promotion and their workmates don't, all that kind of stuff, it's, it's really there. But these are the ones who also helped rule uh, the world on behalf of their masters. Remember, too, for a long time, the nobility, the royal classes, with all the descending nobility down below them, aristocracy, um, would have sons, uh, generally sons, going into either becoming priests at one time, or ministers, or Church of England, when they basically took the same system of Catholicism and made the king the head of it, instead of the Pope. But so they go into into religion, or else they go into the military, one or the other. That was standard for so much of the nobility for a long time. And they'd have a decent education, certainly, and then they go off and uh, do their thing for for the country, etc. And they had lots of rewards. Rewards basically for for nobility were just land grants, generally, along with titles by the kings and queens, who didn't even see the peasants as the same species as themselves. They really didn't. Even a cursory look into the histories, like the the diggers or, or, the, or the levelers and so on, and, and what happened in, in England, where people were trying to hold on to their the common lands that had been there forever, where they were allowed to grow their own food for themselves just to survive, for instance, or, or graze, for instance, as well. And it, it kept getting taken away from them, taken away from them with uh, in the enclosure acts and so on. I remember reading how lots of the so-called diggers who were trying to get the little communes together to save themselves were, were literally driven out and, and killed and slaughtered and eventually because the Queen, Queen I think it was Queen Elizabeth I at the time maybe, had given lands to Sir Francis Drake and Walter Raleigh, you know, who were really pirates for the royal crown, and they were plundering Spain for, for cargoes of gold and so on. And that's what they were. <laughs> they, were they were pirates. It's quite fascinating to see real, the, the real brute force of nastiness, which is history. It really is. It's in your face. So don't ever forget that. And, and, and it's in every country. As I say, look at, look at India. As it's coming up, it's getting, now it's getting the IMF in and it's getting the big loans in and so on. And, and it's got the same crook, uh, psychopathic system there too. And they'll do awfully well, those ones who, who are the psychopaths. They'll be able to use everybody else to enrich themselves and, and lots of gangsterism on the go and so on. Quite amazing. So it's no different at all. And it's a shame in a sense, because in India, they had the system grafted onto them from Britain, at least the old propaganda system. And they were still being taught the old British system of uh, the people, even they were, went into the civil service, for instance, would get an indoctrination of the British Empire, and it was all good, and all that kind of stuff. And... And, and if you joined it, you're part of a system with a purpose and a cause and so on. I remember seeing a documentary years ago on a guy from India, a really nice fella who was an idealist. He came out of India to Britain thinking it was almost like going home to him. And he would do well and he'd be treated with respect and the people were respectful and they were courteous and so on. Because that's, that's what they were, were taught that it was, you see. And he was so shocked and saddened, and, and interviewers kept seeing him every other week as he got more and more depressed when he saw how awful it was in England. How people cursed and they swore, and they swore at him too, and they gave him a job, <laughs> like a car park attendant or something, or giving out tickets for cars. And he couldn't believe 
the barbaric <laughs> culture that, that that really was 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 coming out at him when when uh, he was doing his job. He couldn't believe it. You could see the guy was crushed. What, what a darn shame, you know. And and that's what happens. That's why because in, in England itself, the conditions there, and with the the, the, the big push. To destroy the old culture to an extent, not on behalf of, from from the elite classes themselves. Don't, anything that happens, don't don't think it's the working classes winning something. All sides are owned by the same bunch. All sides are. I've got their books here. I've got their books from the CFR and the Royal Institute for International Affairs and the Rockefeller Foundation, going back to the to the twenties and thirties. Royal Institute for International Affairs before it was even known as that. To the public, in it they have their annual meetings, and they have the head of the, the communist parties there. They have the top bankers there that loan across the world, and, and top politicians, even some prime ministers, there too. Like Quigley said, much much later in nineteen sixties, he says, "We we accept everybody. We don't care what they are, dictators, you know, communists, whatever, fascists. He says we accept them all." Because they've got to, to run it all. And they have their plan. And they have lots of organizations. And remember, too, uh, if you thought there was only one system, you might, down the road, there might be some kind of rebellion. So you must always believe that there are other systems competing. It's us against them, whichever group you think is us for yourself, that is. And that's how it's run. But in reality, the dialectic brings us all to the same the same route, eventually, that was planned by those at the top. That's how it's done. And now, of course, they've got so much psychology and psychiatry and neuroscience and studies going on constantly in real time with all of us, all the time, with the electronics. It's just too easy, isn't it? But we think we're free as we get ready for the big, big, big nudge, the big crash to come, you know. Quite amazing, isn't it? How easy it is to rule millions, if not billions, of people. Remember, too, that every documentary put out on China by the United Nations and many of the countries that are involved, even in Britain with the United Nations, they state openly that China is the model state for the whole world to copy. Don't forget it. Don't forget it. Awfully important, that. Awfully important. And it's much easier with China with its history and a population that's more apt to go into conformity and collectivism in their history compared to a lot of the Western cultures. But look around you today, and people are conforming and conforming. There's many ways to get you to conform. Many, many ways that you don't even know what's happening to you. You really don't, do you? I've, I've given so many talks on, on organizations that rule you, shape your lives, from cradle to grave. It's, they call it lifelong education, by the way. I think it was the, the Red um, Bishop at one time, they called him in England. He was a Church of England bishop at one time, but he was he wrote about it. People thought he was communist, but no, he was giving the agenda. The same thing as the Rees Commission found out in the States. When, when it ended, they find out, wow, the big, massive tax-free foundations that fund all these thousands of non-government organizations and so on, run by the Rockefellers and Ford, Carnegie's and all the rest of them, why they appear to be funding communist organizations. And quickly said it again, he said, we're often mistaken. We're often mistaken for communists because we have almost the same goals. And you've got to figure, understand what they mean by that. Conformity, standardization, blah, 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 blah. Experts running over you, ruling over you, till you just obey and do what you're told and live the way you're told you to live, etc., etc. That's what they mean by it. And you can't do anything today with the experts. And they've got all the children across the planet obeying global warming, sustainability, uh, going into necessary austerity. That's a big push to come now. They're already talking. I've read the articles here. 
from the, the sources. They're going to curtail your, your, your electricity use. Many ways to do that. They can also price it out of existence for most of you. But definitely with your smart meters, they're going to start to force you to use less and less and to cut you off and, and so on if you don't. Until you behave. And that's how it's done. Everything is by giving you access or withdrawing access to your so-called privileges. Bertrand Russell, in his books, The Roads to Freedom and Education, The Good Life and so on, Impact of Science on Society and others. And he, he went through it. He says, you know, we'll give you eventually tokens, a form of tokens. That can be any means. It could be electronic, for instance, by government eventually. And uh, you'll get used to it and you'll accept and expect it and you pay your rent with it and you feed yourself from it. And so, but if you're bad, they can punish you by withdrawing their, your tokens until you get on your knees and you plead forgiveness and you promise to be good. And then they might allow you to get your rent paid and, and to pay your food and so on and blah, blah, blah. Privileges, privilege. A, a society based on privileges. Think of China again, model state. Now, a lot of what they got in China was copied a long time ago in Britain because that's what they gave everybody there was privileges. It's a privilege to be alive if you're a working-class person. <laughs> really, at one point it was. And then when, when they, they started to use some of your own money by giving you a kind of basic, basic health care, very, very basic health care, at least some decent food, not all of it, but some decent food, then it's a privilege, too, to have that, you see. You're taught to be grateful. And, you're, and I, I can remember when I was, we too, if I had any arguments in school with teachers or whatever, and I did occasionally, I was told with, with the words that were used from the, the 19th century, mind your place. They were still using that terminology uh, in some of those uh, different schools back then, the better ones. Mind your place. That's what you told. Get meaning, get back into your class there, you know, your classes. You're talking about physical class, your, your class system. People think that's all gone. No, it's not. It's not gone. You'll always have class systems. Always. And you'll see it with intellectual snobbery, too, of those who are chosen to go up in academia in different areas and how they look down their noses at everybody else. It's quite comical at times. So for those who, who think they got it good now and, and India's backward, it, it wouldn't take much to put you back in the same situation as India. As they are at the moment They've got big, big programs on in India Just copying straight from their books in Britain Of, you know, getting, getting running water for the people Get, get good sewage systems And so on And cut back um, all that nonsense of Dumping their sewage in the streets Like they did in Britain too in the 1900s In the big industrial cities In the 1800s I should say But think of how easy they could do that today in your cities, in Canada, in the States, or anywhere. Just cut out this or cut out that. Oh, big, big strikes. There's no money going round. Whatever happens to be, or they've got no money to repair this. They've already said that. They, they don't have the, the cost of, of maintaining the sewage systems under Toronto or New York City. You couldn't do it. It bankrupt the, not just the nation, but nations, plural. <laughs> It'd be cheaper to knock everything down. Move all the people out. Move, knock it all down. And start from scratch. Is that something? Think about that. You're not that far away from disaster. You never are. And since you're in a, a market economy now, which is really free trade, passing things around, then, you know, you, you aren't bringing in the money to pay for all that stuff. The governments have to tax it all from you now, and they used to get it all from different levels of industry, from raw resources up the way through partly finished products to the next part, next part. It was all taxed. It's all gone now since you import everything. It's all put on the people, and they don't have enough. It's funny, as I'm talking now, I can hear the coyotes outside. They're, they're just to the south of me right now, yipping away there. And to the north of me, there, there's forest fires, and to the northeast, Forest. I think they go over 600, apparently, in Ontario, northern Ontario here, on the go at one time. 
last year was about 180 or something. And I read in one of the reports that it was, it was man-made fires. They didn't say, would explain, was, was it deliberate or accidental or barbecues or what? They say it was man-made, they thought. I think there's a lot more to it than meets the eye. I'm pretty sure there is, actually. It doesn't bode well, of course, but uh, they, they were evacuating people out of some of the some of the lodges, they call them, like holiday lodges and campsites. We'll see what happens if, they, if, they, if they're allowed back in or what. But anyway... What I'm saying is we live in a very precarious system Where everything depends on this strange thing called money Most folk take it for granted and they never even question why uh, That if you have a thousand dollars back in the 1800s, the late 1800s Why you'd need about 80,000 to buy the same things today with it Because compound interest, it's all borrowed money, that's why It's all debt money Planned that way. It's not meant to get paid off. And the con men who rule it all live incredibly hard. They, they live like, like kings could never imagine in ancient times on the interest that they get in already. It's so phenomenal. Everything is a con. But before I run out of time, even, even now, one of the links I want to put up is to do with, one of many actually, you're going to understand there are big marketing corporations and training corporations, professional corporations, that literally train NGOs, and they give them all the support, and they, uh, it costs thousands of dollars, I'm sure, for each person to go through the training. They, they'll also arrange all the meetings with governments for you and show you to do and blah, 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 in order to change society. And you don't vote for these folk, but they get access to all the different uh, government funding, etc., 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 and private funding as well. For you who think that democracy is all real. So here's one article. It says, we partner with foundations and corporations to place diverse, talented, trained, and supported professionals on non-profit boards. And this particular agency says, is our signatures board recruitment, uh, placement, training, and support program. The corporate social responsibility that provides strategic consulting to CSR teams and corporate foundations, helping them maximize their business and community impact. You know, it's what changes all you and stuff. And they've got board governance and help social uh, good organizations for social good optimize board performance through customized engagements designed to diagnose the root problem, develop an informed action plan, and deliver solutions. And they've got board CEO coaching. They help non-profit boards develop into fully engaged governing bodies working in powerful collaboration with the chief executive. Not bad, eh? And, uh, yeah, they, they can get you going, you see. For you, for you, for you the people who think they go around with tin cans and just rattle it and you put your pennies in, uh, you're living in a different century, really, in a different, completely different reality, that's for sure. Absolutely. Because they have strategy boards and stuff to find ways of getting you trained to change the public. You change the public's views and things. I can remember Aldous Huxley talked about that in, on, a, on a, a, I think it was a Wallace show, Michael Wallace. He says, um, well, with the techniques that they have and the powers that they have, it's talk about these systems of psychological persuasion, the, the Bernays techniques and so on. He, he says, you know, maybe that they can alter the people's minds in ways perhaps that wouldn't be good for them to alter their, their views and so on. That's how it's all done, you see. It's so easy now. It's just too easy. And um, most folk don't know. As I say, too, another one I'll put up, too, is called NGO Social Change and the Transformation of Human and Stop It Society. Yeah. The unveiled power of NGOs and how they, they can change policy behaviours and people's behaviour and society's behaviour. How can we change behaviour to protect the planet? It's not a non-profit. Some of these non-profits are multi-million dollar projects, you know, with your tax money behind it too. <laughs> to change your mind on something, isn't that wonderful? And lots of things have that, of course, as you well know, not just for, for that reason. And the role of social norms in achieving behavior change. Isn't that wonderful? 
developing strict behaviour strategies might also be not, you know, not that good. Studies conducted in the work done by Tostin, the NGO that led these procedures, are the most horrible thing that any human can suffer. Well, they go into their whole strategy, you see. And the, their organisations and non-government organisations is influencing global public policy. So you really think you've got a mind of your own? Do you realise these organisations too uh, have, have interconnecting strategies with people who work on the curriculums in schools and train that, that make sure the children are all trained with the right, political correct attitudes and everything? And you call yourselves free. Stop kidding yourselves. At least try and tell your children they're not free at all. When they're getting this kind of indoctrination even through the schools. Never mind, I'm sure, in every other ad you see on television. Because it's inserted everywhere, isn't it? It goes on and on and on. It's one page again. Most folk don't even know. They don't even know that their opinions are given to them. They don't know. And if it sounds half good, well, I guess it's all right. They don't look at the other half and see it's maybe a whole lot bad. <laughs> really something. Another one, too, is the Council of Councils. Very, very old organization. I'll put a good video up by the couple who, who actually put it out. The latest article about it, for instance. And I, I did know about these groups and another big group that goes back to the 1800s. And again, these all started in, in basically in, in the US, but in, in England, and the old Milner Group, and the Council on Foreign Relations, and Rolling Sheep for International Affairs, etc. They have many specialised departments and organisations, and this is one of them, it goes back, as I say, to about 18, oh, 1890s, maybe. You understand, too, the elites had their, their factories across the Europe. Same people often owned them. Same families, and they wanted a world order back then too. And they had their wars and their skirmishes, it's all vied for, for minerals and resources in all these different countries, even their member countries. They tried the, the Council of Europe to get uh, an organization of governing uh, the world, uh, an embryo to start it up. And eventually they morphed into League of Nations, and they used a world war to, to get that going, and then the, then the United Nations. But Aaron and Melissa Dykes put that one out, a good, a good documentary on it. I'll put that up, the link for it, for those who want to see it. Again, for those who think that they are actually free. Because remember, all these organizations, you don't vote for any of these people. And these organizations advise your governments and politicians on everything. Your own politicians don't make their own minds up on anything. It's all, they're all asking advice from the Council on Foreign Relations and organizations all the time. All the time. And so you, you don't have democracy at all. So I'll put founding council of council member organizations and a few articles on that too for you. For those who want to know, and maybe maybe a few can teach your children. If your children are interested, an occasional one here and there will want to know things. And who knows, you might plant a seed to help some down, to pass on information for another generation. I mean, otherwise we're, we're finished, you know that. And they even have their report cards, they call it a report card on international cooperation, how they've all been doing and getting their agendas through and so on. And don't forget these council of councils run other councils underneath them and the NGOs too, by the way. And they funnel money through big foundations to NGOs to make sure their, their agendas are properly uh, carried out, unbeknownst to the public. And lots of your, your top civil servants, by the way, in different countries all belong to that organisation. So I'll put those up for you. Another, another one is the Wi-Fi Alliance coming soon to your neighborhood, 5G wireless. I've mentioned it before. And it, it, it's quite interesting to see the, the powers. By the way, even, I know in the, the States there, they've had these fake Wi-Fi, fake trees they have uh, along motorways and so on. And they're not like big, big trees, like big fir trees or pine trees. But they're actually towers, camouflage towers with lots of spy equipment that collect all your data as you drive past and through them and so on. It's quite fascinating to see the cons that they pull. And there's one in Sudbury now. They put one in Sudbury. And, uh, and it's true enough. You see, all the studies have shown show that and they, put, they put cameras, for instance, into uh, elderly people's homes and community areas and so on for, for the elderly. And they study them, study them, because they, you know, they're less apt to complain if they're getting cut rate, uh, uh, rent, etc. That's how they do things in the real world. And 
they found out that people really tend to forget about it if it's unobtrusive. Make it a fisheye lens, make, don't make it give it a blinking light or anything, and eventually they'll start to ignore it. It's the same thing. So make it, if so really, uh, for the motorways and the big cities and stuff like that, just just make a huge but massive antenna uh, to disguise it like a tree, and the folk won't even think twice about it. There you go. be interesting to see if the woodpeckers go on out and start chipping away. And how much that'll cost us. <laughs> there you go. We do live in, a, in a, almost a Disney world, isn't it? The way we're trained to believe and be so naive and silly. An article, too, on France, who are putting laws out about fake news. If they deem something's fake news, starting with uh, run-up to elections, for instance, then they're going to just silence it. Well, it won't stop there, and it's going to be a test bed for other things, too. And everybody else will be jumping. I mean, they're already using these techniques in the West, they are, they simply make it hard They simply, they, they, people can't find your website Basically, if they're doing a search for anything They won't even know you exist It's quite easy with the electronic stuff You think you're going to be free, that's all that Those days are over, this whole freedom thing And uh, uh, there's an article last week I don't know if I read it, I don't think I got around to it But it was, do us, is this the end of the internet? Is it really dead? Because it's so managed now and manipulated and censored as I say, if they don't want folk to hear about you, you simply aren't going to get mentioned. And it's that simple. No one will see you. And I think personally, the, the, the time to, to speak is, is more openly is pretty well over now. A lot of countries didn't have all the rights to speak that they did elsewhere. But uh, even in the States now, people will start self, uh, self-censoring themselves. And they've been trained to do it too. Because it's not nice, you see. So censor yourself. Don't, don't, don't be bad. Be nice, you see. Censor yourself. Police your mind. Like the UN keeps telling you to do. Police self-policing. Be correct. And, and self-police yourself. Be good and nice and don't argue and cause problems. And also, I'll let you put how safe is your cell phone. An awfully good article on... Cell phones from, from a couple of years ago, but it, it gives you a lot of good data on how they suppress information about that too. As more and more people get brain tumors, we know this, we know it. It's just not rocket science. More brain tumors in the last 15 years. What changed? Wow, I wonder, what could it be? It's the same with the food and stomach cancers and things too, since the GMO and, and the high pesticide stuff came in. Also, the same frequencies used for pain-inflicting crowd control weapons form the foundation of the network that will tie together more than 50 billion devices as part of the Internet of Things. And it's a good article as well. So I'll put those links up for those who want to know. Another article I'll put up as well is to do with the cannabis industry. It's incredible how the politicians and and top people involved in RCMP in Canada are involved in ex-RCMP and ex-military. You don't want to tangle with, it, with, with these guys now. Because the plan to, to make themselves multi-millionaires very quickly was hatched a long, long time ago when they sniffed the whole idea of legalizing cannabis across the country. Massive, multi-billion dollar industry. And they said Canada's going to lead it. So when they put some articles up on some of the top companies, as you start to find out who they are. And sure enough, it's big monopolies right off the bat, planned behind closed doors long before the public heard about it all. And uh, all the little players that thought they were going to get in the act won't get uh, in at all. And it, by the way, it's not going to, it won't cut back on uh, raids for, for dope. In fact, it'll increase it because the big boys will not allow any little wildcat operations, even smallest ones, to take away their profits. Believe you me, folks. Gangsterism is gangsterism, and all big corporate business with that kind of money, even the booze industry, has always been gangsterism. Really? That's what it is. But I've got a lot of good articles for you, for those who don't know about it, and and how is it going to expand and expand? And they're using all the PC stuff. Oh, one, one company is going to just do it for women. It's really women they're concerned about. The pain women have. Oh, blah, blah, blah. And health for women. It's, it's, it's become your top drug pusher. So much time. So much time as we go into austerity. And the governments are talking that they can't pay off even, even the interest on the debts now. We're so broke. Quite amazing, eh? 
But to most folk, they think it's just often spontaneous. Amazing, eh? But I've got a lot of articles on that for those who are interested at all. Personally, I don't care about folk, what they've always done with, with uh, dope. But uh, when you take, when you have a, a, a massive multi-billion dollar enterprises woven in completely with government, <laughs> and they've got little, almost like military armies taking care of them, uh, like, like the, the hoodie, the, the, the real tough guys at the top, it's dangerous stuff. Dangerous, dangerous. It's a different thing altogether. And of course, they're going to make sure that there'll be nothing else for you to take. They're taking all the opiates away for folk who really need them. And who know how to handle them, by the way. They're used to doing it, a lot of people, for, for different conditions. And they'll take it all away from them and give them this instead. That's why it's all happening, folks, because the big, big gangsters planned a long time ago that they're going to go this way with it, and they've got what they want. And there's folk, there's ex-police chiefs and everything there up there amongst the CEOs and the top shareholders and things like that. Quite sad, me. <laughs> And also, every country's got the same problems, and um, no one's exempt. I mean, prostitutes, orgies, group sex in New Zealand by the Maoris, you know, the Maori uh, people who live there and so on. And some of the leaders are involved in it as well. No one escapes these days from anything like that. Now, I mean, they're all watching TV and pornography and that your, your, your masters gave you a long time ago to make sure that everybody starts becoming perverted. But anyway... That's the world we're living in, folks. Time is always too short, truly. Really. I hope you're all doing well. I really do. I get to know everybody uh, that, that contacts me. And don't think that if I don't get back to you right away with anything, that it's because I'm ignoring you. I, I began a list of people I've got to get back to and have a little chat with or whatever it happens to be. Because people matter. That's what really life's about, is people. It's, they matter. The right, the right kind of people, decent people. There's plenty of nasty people out there, just forget them. But people who are seeking stuff and seeking understanding about what's going on and life in itself and what life is all about, etc., etc. Um, it's a healthy thing to have people like that that you're in touch with. Because uh, otherwise, it's a rather dismal place to be in, this, this planet Earth at times. It's uh, rather horrific, because I say history has been horrific for most people down through time. Think of every graveyard you'll see across Europe there, and every little town and everything else. You realize that what you're seeing is a tiny percentage of people who managed to get graves. So many generations came with, with, with many more people than gone to graveyards. Maybe hundreds and hundreds of times as many did never, never even got into graveyard. They were just put in pits somewhere. Life was so bad for so many people. And don't ever think that your masters who are bringing euthanasia Huh? Remember? Mass um, sterilization has been talked about and pushed many times by the ones at the top. The Eugenic Society, by the way, in the Darwin Society, is still alive and well, for those who don't know about it. And the Royal Family of England are still the, the titular heads of many of these organizations to do with eugenics and depopulation. So it hasn't gone away. It'll always be here by those who are your masters, basically. And they hire professionals to be other masters over you. That's the beauty of ruling the world, eh? You, you can hire whole levels of bureaucrats to manage it all for you, and intellectuals and those from academia. There are plenty of thugs in the world, and some literally are in academia. Intellectual thugs who, with their superiority complexes, believe that they've got the right to condemn many folk to death. And the same ones who tell you, well, we've got to feed the world with pesticides. No, they don't have to use all that stuff for feeding the world. Apart from that, countries are countries. Obviously, feed your own first. Forget all this propaganda stuff they stuck into their market. Obviously, feed the world. That's where we're putting all these poisons in it. Come off it, folks. Never take the one side they present to you. Think of the other ones, and you will find them. And get back to reality. And you could feed your own countries to start with. With good food. Without all this highly dangerous monopolized pesticides. The deadly stuff that's out there. Or the GM as well. And I'm speaking from the country, remember, that was eating the stuff for 10 years before we found out we were the guinea pigs for all that. Because the government had made a secret deal 
with the big GMO and chemical producers. Yeah. And you vote for people like that. You vote for governments to do things in, like that in secret. For myself, Alan Water, Ontario, Canada, where there's fires all over the place, apparently. In the north here, it's good night. May your God or your gods go with you.